Hello, everyone. Welcome to another YRO podcast. We are speaking with James He today. He is running for a seat on the city council in Canby. Canby is located southeast of Portland. There are four seats available between six candidates. James is also a fellow member of the Young Republicans of Oregon. All right, James, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. So Thanks. to start off, uh, can you give us a quick background about yourself and your experience that you are bringing into this position? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I'm I'm a Canby native. I uh, lived here in town for most of my childhood and uh, adult life, other than uh, military service. Because as a kid, I moved around the U.S. with my dad when he was in the army, and then uh, got out, moved back to Canby, and then uh, yeah, I joined uh, joined the Marine Corps at 17, and then wound up. Uh, serving my country over in the middle east and then uh yeah moved back home a couple of years ago and now i yeah i just want to be able to serve my community here locally but definitely and uh what type of leadership positions did you hold in the military oh in the in the military i uh i wound up towards the end of my career i wound up being uh what they call it fapped out where i i was lent to another unit to help train them for uh their inf- to do an infantry job over in the middle east and so i wound up me and uh, about 10 other guys wound up being in charge of training up about 800 guys to uh in like gunfighting tactics so that they would do okay in iraq so it's uh i wound up being kind of a low rank for infantrymen to get promoted but i uh I had a high billet for uh, for my rank. Uh, typically, uh, I would wound up being getting out as an E three, but I held the billet of an E five or or a sergeant. But yeah, it's uh, the cutting scores in the military for infantrymen is a little unfair. But without going into the yeah the intricacies of that, uh, yeah, I, I basically got promoted without the promotion. It's if you get that. Definitely. And and how's your experience uh been as a civilian as well? Yeah, uh since I re entered the civilian world, I've uh I wound up uh I've helped my my mom uh well whenever I first got out I, I helped my mom with her uh private childcare business part time and going to sc- uh college for the for the other half the time. And then uh yeah, after a couple of years there, I uh, I wound up partnering with uh, my wife's family farm and worked uh, with the Hoffman Farms for a few years. And then uh, then back in 2015, after my, my dad had passed away, I wound up jumping in full time, uh, helping my mom with the uh, with the childcare business. And since since then, we've done about uh, I think it's either four or five expansions where we went from a residential neighborhood and wound up uh, transferring over to a commercial facility and then had to go through all the permitting processes to, to uh, actually operate in a commercial facility. And then after that, we were able to do some construction and then double our square footage. And then uh, about a year later, uh, just uh, right about the same time COVID start, we, uh, we wound up going from uh, 104 students on one day to the next day, dropping down to 12 students. 
And so it's uh, COVID hit our business real hard, real fast. And then, uh, but we, uh, we had kind of been planning to do some, uh, some projects and some other expansions for a while. And so once COVID hit, we wound up, a lot of us teachers wound up being free to work on an expansion. And we, we acquired a, another facility because uh, the lady running that, what, that facility wound up going out of business. And so we, uh, we took over her lease and added another 3,500 square foot facility. And so now I manage the one facility and my mom manages the other facility. We have about, uh, last count was uh, 18 teachers, but uh, we recently hired three more. So I think we're right about 21 or 22 teachers. So it's, uh, I, I manage them on a regular basis. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's, uh, it's rewarding because I, I don't know. I, my grandfather was also a private business owner and we, I've, I've helped him, uh, build houses from the, from bare ground all the way to the finished project. And then, then his daughter, uh, my, I guess my, my aunt, she was, a. Uh, yeah, she is in real estate. So we were able to go from bare ground to selling the house. And, uh, but, uh, in 2008, uh, the housing bubble had burst. And so I, I wasn't able to, you know, continue working, doing construction. So yeah, it's, uh, but it's helped me in my current ventures now, uh, just always been basically working for private companies and small businesses. But, uh, nowadays I've been able to use all the, all the experiences from like the construction to do, like different expansions within our, our two facilities and whether it be laying floors or making trim or repainting or anything, I'm pretty much, uh, well-rounded as far as those kind of skills go. And, and, uh, I feel that a lot of these skills that I bring to the table, uh, would be beneficial in in the city council because they're, they're in the process of doing a lot of expanding right now. And, uh, the industrial area here in town, they've, uh, we've had Columbia distributing and Caruso produce recently enter the town. And, and then like the Canby utility board, they just got done, uh, with phase two of their new construction for their new facility. So it's, uh, having a background in you know, business management and, and, uh, also the construction is really applicable in this city's, uh, current, current position but yeah definitely and and that kind of leads me in my next question is you know uh the this state of the city address in 2019 can be was described as uh in in the tween stage not yet a small town and not yet a city but having the challenges of a city how do you see your city's character and challenges and how do you think this transition is being managed so far well it's uh so far, it's uh, been mar- managed fairly well. So, but we have a few, uh, and uh, I'll throw in there. It's also been uh, conservatively ran for a long time. It's uh, one of the still, still conservative cities in the area. We're, we're surrounded to the, we're surrounded to the west and the north, and yeah, and east with uh, Democrat areas, and. 
highly Democrat controlled, and we've been able to maintain a conservative, uh, yeah, conservative town whenever uh, whenever the liberalism has been continuing to push in. And uh, I want to be able to continue to fight back uh, Metro, who wants to move into Canby and start taxing us for all their Portland projects. And I I want to keep uh, can be independent of of the Portland metro area and uh, keep our sovereignty as a city. And because we've, we've been able to do that, maintaining like our uh, utilities through town, we buy directly from Bonneville Power Company so we don't have to deal with PGE. We buy it all wholesale and deal with the power here. And the same with the water treatment, that's all done in town. We also have our own police force we don't contract with the sheriffs. We also uh, we also have a very strong chamber of commerce, and it's all a lot due to uh, the conservative running of our town. Now we have two conservatives that are moving out of town, and so we're going to have two empty spots. And I want to fill those spots so that we maintain a conservative majority here in our city of Canby. Yeah, and. In terms of uh, transportation, do you see can be expanding to have better transportation towards um, the Portland area, or do you think that that's not necessary at this moment? Do you have a good options well, are, right now? Are you uh, well? I guess the transportation we could break up into two segments. There's a the public transportation piece, and then there's also our our highway through town, which 99E. 99E runs all the way from I-5 all the way into downtown Portland. And with them talking about putting these uh, the toll booths on 205, it is ODOT has forecast that it'll increase our traffic down 99E through town by at least 50% to a whole 100%. So we uh, to double traffic through town will just be a a, a nightmare getting to work in the mornings because 80% of our our residents in town work outside of town. And right now I work in Wilsonville, just just uh, across the bridge to the north of Canby. And uh, sometimes it's it's an hour to work to make it like seven miles just because we wind up getting bottlenecked at the uh, I-5 bridge. And that's only going to increase worse if if this tolling goes into place and we don't and we're not proactive with coming up with an alternative solution as far as our city goes and typically as a city councilor you know you don't you don't have the power to control odot but i will take it upon myself to be down in salem as much as i need to be to talk to each and every legislature and representative to make sure it's on their radar that they need to protect camby from being overrun with bumper to bumper traffic every morning and afternoon. There's also uh, with uh, transportation, there's the, there's the uh, public transportation part where it's a, uh, yeah, right now we Metro back about, I guess it would be about 25 years ago. I believe they, they stopped running TriMet through Canby and they just said there wasn't a need for it and 
there were we had a partnership with TriMet where we where we uh, had contracted, and I, at that time I actually lived in town, and my my grandma had was driving that route for TriMet, but yeah, it's uh, since then Canby has uh, created their own bus service, which they call the Cat Bus or the Canby Area Transit, and right now it only runs uh, well, it runs Monday through Saturday, and it still is a little tricky, like with the commute for a lot of people being able to take, uh, you know, public transportation and be able to rely upon it. But uh, here in Canby, we do have a plan and uh, we, we did a poll with the citizens and we are going to be pl- uh, adding an additional bus route this next year. So it'll be a local a local commuter. So it'll circle the town all day and get people from, you know, stores to back to their houses because most people seem a little timid in, uh, in, in calling the cat bus to have them come to their house because we, that is a service we offer here in town, but most people just, you know, don't, you know, they, they don't want to have to call ahead of time. They want to be able to just go to the bus stop and take the bus whenever they, on a regular basis, but uh, we will have the city commuter in place uh, within the next few months. And then uh, we will be in the place where we can look at the Sunday service also, so that we'll be able to have uh, going back and forth from the Oregon city transit center to the Wilsonville transit center on a hourly basis or twice an hour. But it's a, it's just something that uh, the citizens of Canby, have decided that there's that they don't feel that there's a need to add that Sunday service yet, and they prefer the local commuter. So we're we're working with the uh, people in our own community to figure out what their priorities are, and not necessarily what the metro area's priorities are for us. Uh, it's, uh, Definitely. And um, with Canby being uh, one of the safest cities in Oregon and being located so close to Portland, Oregon, and watching the, the crumbling situation on the ground there. Have you seen any bleed over effects with uh, crime, homelessness, or some of the extremism affect your town? Oh, it's uh, not, not too much. Uh, we, we, you know, we have a little bit of crime like every town has, and we have a few homeless people, but it's uh it seems like the city of Canby and a lot of the local churches, uh, they seem to be very helpful to a lot of the people that don't have a place to live. And these churches have offered these homeless people like a, a means out of their out of their situation. All the churches are asking of them is like a sober sober lifestyle. So I know there's one lady here in town that. You know, she uh, she was staying sober, not doing drugs, and she was being able to stay at people's houses from the churches, and she was able to eat, like, go regularly and get money from the food banks, and they supported her until, you know, she went back to drugs, and she chose to do drugs and go back and live under the bridge, and that was that was her own choice. It's, uh nobody forced that upon her, and so it's a... Uh, we do have a big sense of community here in town and there are a lot of people that are, are very good people that will, you know, reach out and help those in need. 
as long as those in need are willing to meet them part way. So they're not going to they're not going to go out of their way just to let themselves be taken advantage of. And I really uh, I agree with that more than uh, what I see downtown. I I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of homeless people in it. On the surface level, it seems very sad and it, it is very sad. But uh, I see a lot of people that just camp out next to like the uh, Union Gospel Mission where there's there's tents all up and down the road or uh, over by Salvation Army where they these people, they camp out knowing that they don't have to do anything because dinner's going to be brought out for them every every evening. Breakfast is going to be provided every morning. You know, anything they really need, it's going to be provided to them. And so they're they're getting just enough to keep them just comfortable enough not to step up and get a job and do things on their own, which is almost handicapping these these people that are plenty capable of working or of figuring something out. But they are too scared to go out their comfort zone because they know at least living there on the streets in front of a Union Gospel Mission, they're going to get they're going to get a dinner every night. They're going to get breakfast every morning. And it's, mm-hmm. it's surface level. It seems, seems great. And uh, there are many, there's, there's uh, wonderful intentions there. There's a lot of people that just get trapped in that cycle where they're, where they can't, where they're, uh, they're not incentivized to do things on their own. And here in, here in Canby, it seems that with the, majority of Canby residents uh, being a leaning conservative that a lot of people, you know, they're willing to give people, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and roof over their head and clean clothes. As long as those individuals are willing to help themselves too. So it's a, uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, the handouts, just endless handouts are not the way to go. We need, uh, you know, people need to be able to meet in the middle so that it's uh, mutually beneficial and that uh, people aren't just taking advantage of uh, the taxpayer system. Yeah. And um, with uh, the COVID declaration of state of emergency being declared in March, uh, how, how has the current city council used that and how should they have used that if you disagree? Well, uh, it's very split here in Canby on the city council currently. Uh, it's, uh, well, I guess there's there's about the mayor's stance right now is that the uh, the governor's re- requirements and regulations are sufficient, and that we don't really need to make our any extra regulations. And I kind of agree with that. There's I'm uh, operating a small business in Wilsonville and. Oh, there's, we've got regulations like packets of regulations, like a hundred pages long. And we're having to condense that down to like a one flyer for parents to read. And it's, it's, we were able to condense it to four pages worth of regulations that parents have to abide by when they drop off. And the, those same regulations are happening here in Canby and I've been I've been asked by people if I am going to ask for more regulations or a declaration of some sort 
and I don't really feel that that's necessary here in town. We, uh, we have a lot of regulations. There's a lot of people here in town that are abiding by that regu those regulations. And I, I, I think it's enough. It's, uh, I, I spend a lot of time outside these days because, you know, I don't, I don't want to be cooped up inside all day, but, uh, yeah, it seems like with these regulations, anywhere you go indoors, you know, have to wear the mask. And it's, uh, I don't know, we, you know, it's, uh, it's the time right now, times right now where everybody has to do the mask. We're, we're doing the hand sanitizer, washing our hands, keeping the social distancing. And I don't really see at a city level that adding anything else is going to be beneficial in any way, shape or form. And are there any other areas that uh, Canby has been impacted by the, the lockdowns and COVID and businesses and all that? Well, um, Canby, uh, the Canby schools still are not being able to uh, meet in person. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I wouldn't be controlling the school board being on the city council, but there are a lot of people in in town that just you know, want their kids to be able to go back and attend school in class. And I, I support that. I, I look at, uh, I look at the people that are, that are at risk to COVID. They're not attending school. They're, uh, you know, they're elderly or people with uh, underlying conditions. Most of our youth in the schools between K and 12th grade they're not the at risk. 99.995% of them will live through COVID. And then that, I don't know, I, I, the math in my head, it's like one out of 100,000 people outside of that, uh, out of that risk be hurt. But that's like, we look at uh, here in Canby, we're having more suicides than we're having COVID deaths. We're having more people have health implications and like there are elderly people that are not going to the hospital out of fear of catching COVID and ignoring their strokes or ignoring their heart attacks and because out of fear and the, the cycle of fear that people have gotten into is, is not healthy, not at all. So for people that choose to live in fear is, it just saddens me because we, uh, we we're being fed this constant narrative that, you know, like uh, I've seen ads. It's like I stayed home today. So or like so we don't kill anybody. There's I see billboards or signs of people say, did you kill anybody today? Referring to COVID. And then our kids are reading this wow. like and they're they're at that point in time where they're so impressionable that they're like. Uh, my niece lives here in Canby. She was having panic attacks at like eight years old, nine years. Uh, I think she's nine. Yeah. Nine now. Thank you. Emma. But she, uh, having constant panic attacks and anxiety about leaving her house because she thinks she's going to die from COVID or she's going to kill somebody. And the reality of it is, is that, well, for one, she doesn't have COVID, so she can't infect anybody with COVID. For two, she's not in the risk, like at risk at all. And so it's to be causing these, this, I don't know, 
mental health problems for our children over something that is not even a threat to them, it, it just seems absurd to me. But on the other hand, with the, uh, the elderly care homes that we have, like here in town in Canby, I do know that uh, we did have a couple deaths with COVID. People died with COVID in their 80s and 90s uh, at some elderly homes here in town. And that's also due to the fact that we have a very large uh, retirement community here in town. And it's uh, like a, there's an assisted living facility, the hospital. And then there's a whole campus of individual homes that are uh, their independent living homes, but they still have access to nursing and healthcare on site. So in those areas, you know, taking the precautions and enforcing the precautions is com is completely reasonable. You know, if we know that somebody is at risk, yeah. I'm going to mask up. I'm going to have my kids mask up. I'm going to sanitize my hands and I'm going to respect the fact that these people are at risk. But as far as our schools go, our kids are being harmed more by being having school closed than they're being helped. They really are. And not to mention the uh, economic benefits to families and households not being able to work, people having to file bankruptcy or <laughs> People I know that are, uh, their marriages are not lasting through COVID. COVID is ending marriages right now. And a lot of it has to do with people's fear. And it's in a lot of these cases, it's fear of, uh, fear of uh, this, the COVID monster or whatever they've worked up in their head. Uh, it's, uh, mm -hmm. But even like my grandpa, he's, he's in his 80s. You know, he'd be susceptible to it, but he was, I, I can't quite remember the, uh, the analogy that he was used, but he was like, I'd be more likely to be in uh, South Dakota and have a salmon dropped from an eagle and kill me than, than die from COVID. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, there's no salmon in South Dakota. And, uh, it's like, all right. And he's like, I mean, and I'm not going to coop myself up at home and fear, fear COVID, you know, I've lived a good life. If I wind up, if I die, I'm, I mean, I'm in my upper eighties and I, I hadn't really looked at it like that because I, my family, we had kept our distance for quite a while. And he was like, he would rather, rather see us and take that risk than, than be isolated from his family. And then uh, the same with like my wife's grandma and grand, like, She's like, you know, it's, and I've talked to multiple other elderly people that are like, you know, I've lived through this and I've lived through this and I've lived through this and this, you know, I, uh, I'm not scared of COVID. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live in fear over some, some bug. Yeah. And in total, uh, what, what are your priorities for city council? Well, yes. Uh, First priority would be safety of citizenry. We are, uh, this is, is like you mentioned before, one of the top safest towns in Oregon and in America. Uh, so we will, you know, we, we have a strong police. We, people support their police here in town. And we, we haven't had any of the problems with rioting and the, the 
destruction and damage like there has been in Portland, but that's not a guarantee that it'll always be like that. So I will make sure that if it does start to happen like that, or if rioters do come into town and they start to destroy things, we will let our police know that they have our support. And we as citizens will be out there, you know, guarding our small businesses as well. And that they are not alone and that we will have their backs because of the service they do for us. So, yeah, the public safety is number one. You know, I want my children to be safe. I want my neighbor's children to be safe. Uh, everybody here in town, I, you know, safety is, uh, is paramount. Then the, after that, uh, you know, the, the livability of town with our gr continuous growing, you know, we need to make sure that we, we don't just grow town, make it bigger. We also need to make sure that we make it better. So just making skyscrapers or something is not going to make our town better. We need to focus on the continued livability of it and the, uh, the cleanliness of our town and the, the, uh, the appeal of our downtown area. And then lastly, there's, you know, I brought up a little bit ago was a uh, transportation. Transportation is going to be, it's going to be a huge issue if they do put these toll booths in on, on 205. And it's, uh, there, there has been some ideas in the past of, you know, getting rid of our Canby Ferry, which is a, you know, a historical, historical thing these days. And then, uh, there's also, uh, we milled around the idea of, uh, building another bridge across the Willamette so that we don't have that bottleneck at I-5. But it's, uh, if they build these toll booths, something, there has to be something done, whether it be that additional bridge or whether it be a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, a transit lane that, uh, that we do uh, from the Hubbard Donald cutoff that just circumvents downtown area and just goes around so that we don't have all this uh, gridlock right down 99E. And, uh, and that's, I will, uh, most city councilors, they, they're not down in Salem lobbying because you know what? They, they probably don't know enough about politics to do that. Most of them. And if they do, a lot of them are, you know, overburdened with work obligations. I am flexible enough with my work that I will be able to go down to Salem and I will be able to lobby and I will be able to stand up for my small town. And I will be down there as much as I need to, to, to make sure that everything is taken care of and that ODOT and the state do not forget about Canby. So in terms of going and standing up for Canby, there's more than one position available for city council. Who do you recommend your residents also take a look at to help you achieve your goals? I think Tracy Hensley. She has a decade of experience uh, on city council here in town, and she's, uh, she's very, very knowledgeable and, and wise as far as uh, politics goes. And then Jordan Tibbles, he's also conservative. He's also a prior Marine and he, uh, prior Marine and military police. He's got a great resume and he, he really cares about Canby also. And, uh, his wife has been a long time, you know, uh, lifelong Canby resident and they, 
they're raising their family here in town. And then there's, uh, you know, Jason Patton, he is, uh, he's registered as a Democrat, but he's, he's the most, uh, moderate out of the Democrats. And then uh, of course I got to throw my own name in there, James Hebe. I, uh, you know, I Definitely. can guarantee you that I will work harder than anybody else that is running. But, uh, I, uh, I may not have the most experience, but I have I have youth, motivation, and uh, I am a hard worker, and I will not fail Canby. So, and I say I uh, don't have as much experience. That's only because I haven't been elected to any sort of position before. You know, everybody has to have their first office, but I have had countless uh, volunteer hours helping. Uh, helping other people who are elected officials and also helping uh, behind the work, behind the scenes, doing research and whatnot for the, uh, for the Capitol down in Salem. So it's a, I have some, I have enough experience to know that I will do a great job. And uh, I have the motivation and the work ethic to uh, get everything done. So you're also a member of YRO yourself. What inspired you to join and how can organizations like this be a help to Canby? Well, uh, for the last couple of years, I've been I've been really wanting to get involved in uh, in state politics. You know, everybody sees on the news what's going on federally. And that's where most of people's attention is focused is, you know, federal politics when they don't realize that, you know, what really impacts our day to day lives is state politics and our local politics. And uh, and I was having a really hard time getting connected with either the state or local politics. And I, I, I would go to meetings, I'd go to other county meetings or ORP meetings. And I was, I was constantly the, uh, the youngest person in attendance and they'd be like, oh, it's great that you wanna get involved. Oh yeah, well, have a good day. And it's like, I'd leave these meetings going, okay, I'm. I'm no better off than I was. I, I still have no direction. And so um, back in January, I, uh, yeah, was it January? Around January time, there was a, I'd gone to a Candace Owens event at the uh, National Guard uh, post. And I, and I went up linking up with Steven and, and we, uh, he was talking about how, you know, the young Republicans were, were kind of had kind of uh, dissipated because uh, a lot of the past leadership have moved had moved on to uh, bigger, bigger and better things. Like some of them got jobs at the Capitol. Some were working for other elected officials elsewhere. And and the uh, the organization needed like a. Uh, needed. A, yeah, needed some needed some work, needed a uh, revamping. So I was like, yeah, it sounds like, sounds like uh, right up my alley. And so we, at first we, we were just trying to discuss, okay, what do we do with this organization? And we, we decided we just want to get younger people, younger being people under under 40 involved in politics and find a, an outlet for them to get involved because you know the county parties weren't doing it for us 
and we we are not the kind of people that are going to just sit around and wait for somebody to give us orders or wait for somebody to tell us where we're needed we created we created a uh, the organization and we've been drawing people to the organization and it's given me a way to uh, uh, it's given me credibility to a certain extent to reach out to different counties across the state and be able to to uh, be able to get calls back from all the all the other local leaders in our in our state. And uh, so once they know, you know, that I'm an executive on the Young Republicans and that I'm reaching out to candidate so and so, I we we'd get responses and we we started to gain momentum very very fast and soon it was uh our members like we've we've had people that are just highly motivated young people that you know have great talents and gifts that you know the county parties and the state party are just not taking advantage of and so we wanted to be that uh the conduit for them to be involved and Whenever somebody comes to us and is like, oh, yeah, I want to be involved. And we usually say, we'll ask them, OK, what are your skills? What are your gifts or your abilities? And and then we find a position that suits them. And we have created uh, an amazing team. And uh, and yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, yeah, we have that event coming up on Sunday where we are. It's only our uh, second Young Republicans event, and it's, it seems to be that we are going to be very successful. We've it's uh it's very exciting uh, the progress we've made in such a short time. It's only been it's been about ten months since we've we've really been working at this at the Young Republican team, and we are we are doing incredibly well. And uh, we, uh, you know, the team we built is going to be the future leaders of Oregon, and we are, we're kind of, uh, we've kind of looked at the model that uh, the Democrats have done here in Oregon to be so successful, and what they've done is they've connected on a personal level with individuals, and so we've been able to replicate that, and you know reach out and, and establish personal relationships with other Republicans in the state that care enough to get involved and volunteer their time. So these people that care about America and care about our state volunteer their time. You know, we're just, we're just making sure that, you know, we have a, that there is a place for them to volunteer since there are so many people coming out of the woodworks wanting to help and wanting to be involved that just haven't found that direction yet. And I'm, I'm proud to be involved in this effort of getting uh, young people. Yeah, I guess in the Republican party, young people means, uh, you know, like under retirement age. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, there's a lot of us that, you know, it feels like it's been that we're forgotten about by the party and, and they're they're starting to uh, reach out to us, and uh, and want us to be involved and and see what we're doing. 
and they respect what we're doing and they want to help us now. And it's, it's very encouraging. And, uh, I can only, only wait to see what our future holds for us because Oregon is, uh, Oregon is, is on its way to turning red. If not completely, we're going to be competitive again with the Democrat party. And, uh, you know, that, that balance of power is greatly needed so that, you know, we don't wind up with tyranny because if there's only one party and they have absolute control, we will wind up in a tyrannical state. So we are pushing again, back against tyranny with our organization. And I feel we are being successful. Well, that's great to hear. And for the listener's sake, uh, what, when is the event? Oh, uh, we are, uh, our event will be in Turner, Oregon on Sunday, October 18th, uh, mingling, you know, people can show up a little bit early, but, uh, it officially starts at two, you know, our speakers will be, uh, starting about two 30 and, uh, We'll have about an hour of speaking and then we're going to have a, yeah, pulled pork sandwiches and hamburgers for dinner as, as well as like salad and buffet and, and everything. Uh, yeah, everything that, uh, I don't know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of food there, but, uh, we're also, you know, we are aware that there is the COVID situation still going on. So we're also, you know, we're taking the precautions there. We're going to be, we're going to have masks on site for any, anybody that needs one. We're going to have plenty of hand sanitizer stations and we got our hand washing station. And, but it's, uh, we're going to have multiple guest speakers too. We're gonna, one will be uh, Senator Hurd from, from uh, down by Roseburg. We're going to have a uh, uh, past state representative, Jeff Crop. We're going to have a uh, Senate candidate, Joe Ray Perkins. Um, and then we're going to have a uh, Trump victory teams. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the sportsmen for Trump, but uh, they're going to be there. And then, uh, yeah. And then I'll be speaking briefly and uh, Christina Malimon, she'll be speaking briefly, but uh yeah, that'll be down in Turner, Oregon. You can find out more about it on our Young Republicans of Oregon Facebook page or youngrepublicansoforegon.com. And then we also have a uh, Young Republicans of Oregon Instagram and Facebook. Or, I mean, uh, I mean YouTube. But so any of those platforms, you should be able to find more about the about it. And uh, really, anybody uh, conservative leaning or you know, that supportive of our president is more than more than welcome to attend attend. And even if you are a Democrat voting for Trump, you know, we're all, we have a very diverse uh, party. People look at uh, Republicans and they think uh, they I don't know what kind of stereotype people have in their minds. But I, been, after getting involved, it is amazing how diverse the Republican Party is with all sorts of race ethnicities, uh, you know, I guess gender preferences or whatnot. I, if you look at the walkaway movement, I, I've never thought I'd see so many LGBT individuals joining the Republican party. It seems like they're, they're sick of the Democrats party too, because they, they're not recognizing the Democrat party as the being the true blue Democrats of the past. 
the the Democrat Party is being overrun by socialists and communists in our state. So it's uh, anybody that just loves America is welcome to attend. Great. And is there anything else on your mind that uh, you want to let listeners know? Oh, I uh, yeah. If you'd like to look into my campaign, you can. Uh, I uh, you know I'm not the best at web stuff, so I don't have a web page, but I do have a Facebook page where I'm uh, doing constant updates and I'm trying to uh, yeah post as much as possible. And if you uh, would like to ask me any questions, you can yeah contact me through uh, at James Heeb for CanbyCityCouncil.com or at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that's all I got for you tonight. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast, James. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Get back to the campaign. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Republicans of Oregon podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please consider donating by visiting our website, youngrepublicansoforegon.org. The donations will pay for political trainings for our volunteers, travel expenses so we can spread our message across the U.S., and better tech equipment. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have new episodes every other Monday.